but really it's about talking to people in PFLAG, talking, you know, to your doctors and getting those resources, those people that can open those doors that you didn't know that could be opened. You knock on doors until they open. One of the most challenging aspects of doing anything that would fall under the quote-unquote medical intervention category is how you're going to pay for it. Prior to the Affordable Care Act, most, if not all, insurance companies did not cover any gender-affirming care. They saw it purely as elective and not a medical necessity. But as you are experiencing firsthand, times they are a-changing, and with that, so has what is and is not covered under insurance benefits. This coverage still varies widely from state to state and plan to plan. Some of the most comprehensive coverage plans I've seen will cover everything a person might need in order to feel affirmed. Blockers, hormones, surgeries, voice therapy, the list goes on. Whereas other plans cover far less and or have more hoops that they want people to jump through in order to approve an intervention. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham. As if the medical system weren't already hard enough to navigate, insurance often feels like the biggest headache. Every step along the medical journey requires some level of interaction with an insurance company. As a side note, this is a great screening question for when you're trying to determine if a therapist you're thinking of working with is going to be a good fit for gender work. I actually have a stack of rejection letters I keep on hand so that when I'm writing a letter for a particular insurance company, I can address whatever unique concerns or language requirements they have. The insurance dance is a stressful one, as if you needed more of that. That's why I've asked Rachel back to the podcast. Rachel is the mama bear of Archie, who is 16 now at the time of this recording. We first heard from Rachel back in episode seven. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, I invite you to pause and go back. We're going to jump right into where they are now, and episode seven really gives us the background for this conversation. Rachel is one of the fiercest parent advocates I've met doing this work. When her kid needs something, you better believe she's not going to rest until they get it. For our conversation today, we're talking about insurance, top surgery, and her experience in navigating both of those things at the same time, and still managing to stay sane. As a reminder, all stories shared by parents at Campfire are done so with the full consent of their child, and identifying details are altered to whatever point a family feels are necessary in order to feel safe sharing their story. All right, so Rachel, last time we met, we went on this beautiful walk and we recorded this beautiful podcast <laughs> conversation. <laughs> and then we listened to it and realized it really didn't work. So here we are again. Mm-hmm. And so let's just, because what we really want to talk about is insurance, right? And how you managed to, I mean, not just insurance, but yeah. also like navigating that aspect of the medical part of this. Right. So for Archie, last time we talked to you on the podcast, you were doing, we talked about how he was, he'd come out and how you'd navigated that. And so now we're going to talk a little bit more about like how the, the medical side got navigated and is still underway really. Yes. <laughs> so, I, well, does it really ever end? I... <laughs> great point. It doesn't, it doesn't really ever end. So when it comes to, or when it came to Archie making the decision to move forward with medical supports for transition, walk me through what that looked like for y'all. 
Yeah. So initially when he first told me that he was male, the initial thought always goes to the breasts and what does that look like? And at first I had told him, yeah, we're not doing any type of major surgeries until you're 18. And this was really still early on in, in me understanding and being educated um, as well as him going through the transition. So I just kind of put that piece on hold as we had, first we had to address the mental health and get that stabilized uh, to the point that he could then start testosterone. But before I did that, we wanted to stop the menstrual cycles because that was a big dysphoria issue for him. And so I started with his basic pediatrician and she happened to work with an endocrinologist that works with trans people. And so she was able to prescribe, she, it was one different medication um, and it's just progesterone to stop the cycles and that one didn't work. And then we went to another one and we started with norfidone and that stopped his cycle completely. And so that was really great because we didn't have to mess around with it much more um, and then address that. Then as he continued therapy and it got to the point where he was wanting to start testosterone, of course, that did require um, a letter from you. Yeah. And of course, I had to agree as well. And I was, I was, you know, once, once we really established that this was our journey and this was our path, and I'm going to say our because I'm on this journey with him. Mm-hmm. Um, then I, and I was, I was comfortable with the testosterone and even though there are some permanence to it, it wasn't anything that if he decides, well, I don't want to be on testosterone anymore. It, it's not, it's not super like impactful, but what I saw when he started testosterone was him change and open up and kind of bloom. and that's when I got, I decided that, you know, we need to keep going. <laughs> and, you know, he ended up homeschooling for a while, even before COVID. Yeah. And a lot of that was from the social aspect of him just not being comfortable in his body. And now we're facing high school and he's a freshman in high school and he's been homeschooling, but I want him to have a high school experience. Like that's important to me. And I want it to be important to him because he doesn't really know what that looks like yet, obviously, but I want him to be able to be comfortable in his skin. I remember not being comfortable in my skin. And so I want him to be. And so that's when I said, okay, let's go ahead and pursue top surgery. I also wanted him to do it early on as well, because I wanted him to be fully transitioned before he moved into adulthood. I didn't want him to go to college and then have to come home and do top surgery or any of those things. I wanted him to be in as best shape as possible and for us to transition before he does move into adulthood. That was important to me. Yeah. What do you, what were you, so I, I can assume, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what you would be worried about if he had to like navigate transition in adulthood. But I'm asking this question primarily because this is something I actually hear a lot of from parents in terms of you can make this decision when you're 18. 
I'm not going to be a part of this decision. Um, this is your decision to make and I'm not going to do it. So as a parent who took clearly the opposite approach to this, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to oversell it either. Like this was still a journey for you as well. Right. But yeah. why did it seem so important to you that he not have to navigate this in adulthood? One is I wanted to make sure that it's not going to cost him a lot of money. I would hate for him to have to go into debt because he needed something that is important and it's part of his transition. So that was part of it. Mm -hmm. I can't predict the future as far as my own medical coverage. So what if there was a change and I don't end up with a company that would cover that? Right. So those are the two things. But the other thing that has been interesting for me is, is recognizing this is his journey. So I am the channel. I can't be the container. It's not my job to keep him in this box. It's my job to be the channel. And this is his journey. And ultimately he's, I feel like he's responsible and mature enough to make that decision for his body. And when I went through all that process, and it's, it's funny because people always ask me like, well, aren't you concerned or things like that? Yeah, I'm concerned. Obviously, there's natural concern about surgery. It's a, it's a big deal. But at the end of the day, I still feel like it's his decision. And if it ends up being something he doesn't end up liking in the, in the future, well, then it's still his to own. It's not, it's not mine to own. And once I kind of took off that, re- that kind of responsibility hat, it made it a lot easier for me to support him in the medical transitions that he needs to go through. It also really allowed me to advocate for him in all reality. Yeah. Cause it's not me. Not, it's not the parent fear driving it. It's this is what's best for my kid and that's what's driving it. Yeah. So I'm wondering when you, you still manage to reach a place where this isn't yours to own. And I know some parents are very concerned that their kid's going to come back in 10 years with a different mindset and be like, someone should have intervened, like someone should have stopped me from doing this. And I just wonder, as you think about that being a possibility, albeit a slim possibility. (laughs) um, I'm not concerned, but it could be reversed. Like if you, if it was like, I want my boobs back, well, then you just go and have implants. (laughs) Right. Right. So even it's a big deal, but it's also there's a mechanism if that turned out to be if his gender shifted. Yeah. And if he were to be upset, I would say, look, these were the steps that I took. You had Mackenzie as your therapist. I, you had me. You had all these paths that you had to get through. It's not like you just make a decision and done. It, there are paths that he had to go through in order to even get the ability to have the surgery. Yeah. So with the fact that there's those safeguards in there, it, it's not a willy nilly decision. No, it's not. It's a very thorough process too, wouldn't you say? Yes. Extremely yeah. thorough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. Like he may have said three years ago, I want to have top surgery. And you're just now to the place where you're like, well, here, yeah. you know, we're sort of approaching it now. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned insurance coverage as one of your factors. And I know that you, even though you work for an organization that has really comprehensive insurance coverage and also 
an organization that prides themselves on being really inclusive and caring for people of all genders. Um, mm-hmm. It still wasn't super easy for you, was it? No, it wasn't. No. Yeah. So we initially, I wanted to make sure that we didn't interfere with school for the surgery. But uh, when we got the referral from uh, Dr. Selva for Dr. Thacker, we started with that. And we just started with the initial consultation. Um, and of course, it was during COVID. So it was all virtual. But you know, we she went over the, the process and everything. And so the next step is getting the insurance to approve it. Um, and so that was submitted. And we did get an initial denial. And then as I I, fortunately, with the insurance that I have and the company that I have, there are special advocates within the insurance company um, that I was able to then talk to and find out, well, why was this decision made? You know, what's going on? And it turns out uh, WAPATH, which is the transgender healthcare kind of centralized ideas of what should be done in the U.S., it's age of majority, which is considered 18. But in that, it says, uh, it doesn't say it has to be. It's a suggestion. Right. So that's what I focused on. And then as I was talking with them, I said, this isn't a matter of he doesn't want them. This is a matter of him feeling comfortable in his body. This is a mental health issue. And he will not return to school until it is done. And that social piece to his life is being impeded by the fact that he doesn't, he still has breasts. And so once I pushed it in that direction, they then went back to their people that they talked to. But I had also called my HR department as well and let them know what was going on. And once, and then they transferred me there too. So they knew that there were more eyes <laughs> on this. Right. Um, so, and I figured that if they were going to deny it again, I was going to continue to fight, but they actually did end up approving it and they had to go, I had to go through the approval process again because of the date we chose for the insurance, but because it was already record, I didn't, there was no issues with that. Uh, but the, the main thing is it, it, it's really advocating and pushing and pushing until you get the answer that you deserve. It's not a need, it's a deserve. They, they deserve these, these medical interventions. Yeah, they really do. So as you think about all that Archie's lost so far in terms of childhood or adolescence even, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of those, adolescence is such an important time of like identity development and figuring out who you are and making great big mistakes. (laughs) Uh, And also, though, like connecting with peers and friends, and as you think about all that he's lost because it's too painful for him to walk through the world with this very clear indicator of estrogen, we'll just put it that right. way. <laughs> um, you know, he's got, he's got breasts, and if you looked at him, you would know that, regardless of a yeah. binder. And yeah. so... I just wonder, as you think about that, how does that, like one, let's just talk about the sadness and the grief around just that awareness. Well, yeah, it, he doesn't even like to go outside and walk, like just trying to get him into the outdoors is a challenge. And that's impactful to his physical health on top of his mental health. 
you know, I, I, I think a lot of times I kind of reconcile that with the fact that we're, we've been in COVID for a long enough time. But if we weren't in COVID, I, I would be probably even very, even more sad for him, especially because this is, was his freshman year. And that's where you really begin to establish your, you know, high school friends that you have like lifelong and, right. um, you know, he's missed out on those opportunities he doesn't even like to do zoom meetings and not that you can see, but he, I mean, it just, he knows it's there. It's present for him. And so it just makes him not engaged. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know a single trans kid who's like, yeah, I want to be camera on. Right. <laughs> no. yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I feel bad that he even has to do this to begin with. Um, But I'm also grateful and thankful that I am able to help him and facilitate with giving him the medical interventions to help him get to where he does want to be. He's now, you know, got a lot of facial hair and he won't even cut it off because he likes to (laughs) pull at it. I'm like, you need to shave. And he just like refuses to do it. So it's fun to see those things from him that where the, the medical interventions have elevated his esteem yeah tell him that if he um shaves more that it'll grow back in thicker that's what i keep trying to remind him but (laughs) it's too pretty pretty. (laughs) i know i'm like so many kids i deal with that i'm like it'll be prettier if you just keep working at it yeah yeah what do you anticipate he will return to as he is able to, like physically, right? We talked about how he doesn't even want to go outside right now. He doesn't really want to see people. And this is a kid, by the way, that I think is important to note is not a depressed kid, right? This is like, that's pure gender dysphoria. Absolutely. We, I mean, depression was in the mix yes. before. Right. Right. But once transition started, that depression really just evaporated. Oh, completely. I mean, I, I, there's not many people that can say that their kids went off antidepressants during COVID. <laughs> nope. So you're it was right. definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely the medical intervention with the testosterone and knowing that he's going to get getting top surgery that has definitely lessened that for him. And so as he returns to the world and his life, reclaiming the few years left of youth that he has, what do you anticipate he'll return to and enjoy that he's been avoiding? I, seeing his friends and making new friends. I think that's the making new friends is probably the biggest piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause right now he gets to shield himself around a screen, uh, you know, to do that. But going to, in person to high school, he's really excited to return. And I didn't anticipate that because who likes school really, yeah, right. but he is really looking forward to returning more so than I anticipated. And with that, I know that's going to boost some of his confidence. He's already has some social anxiety to begin with, but I know with him being able to totally go into high school with his names officially changed, his gender markers officially changed, he'll have no breath, he'll be on testosterone for over a year. So he's going to be able to present male 100% Mm-hmm. And I imagine he's just going to walk in like he owns the place. That's kind of what I anticipate him doing. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Do you think that he'll like do sports or anything? No, 
(laughs) (laughs) Darn. No, he's never been a sports kid, um, no matter how I tried. But I think at least he'll be more active physically. But I also, I think that he'll take on other activities. So maybe he'll volunteer, maybe he'll get a job things that maybe he, he wouldn't, you know, you just go to school and come home because that's all you just want to stay in your bubble. So yeah. I'm anticipating him getting out of his bubble more. And I know I'm probably going to have to push a little bit of that. Uh, I keep saying, Oh, you want to get a dog or, you know, um, <gasps> no. and so there's going to be a little prodding from me, but I know once he gets out there and starts doing that, it, it he's just going to continue to, really begin to discover who he is even more. Yeah. How does Archie feel about swimming? Yeah, no, he doesn't. <laughs> no. And it's it's even sad because on spring break, it was just us. He wouldn't even come in the hot tub. Mm. He wouldn't even do it. Now, he did go swimming recently when, because I uh, told you about that Swimply app where you can go and rent a pool and it's private to you. Um, that he did do uh, because it was also my birthday. So I think he felt obligated, but once he got in, he was really happy about it, but he's already told me, he's like, I plan to walk around the house with just my shorts. And so I was like, okay. Uh, And I was like, you can do that now if you wanted to. I mean, heck my other sons make it all the time. (laughs) Right. Um, but it was, it was funny how he like announced that. And so I imagine that once, that he's healed, he'll be ready to just get back swimming and doing all those things that he's always loved swimming, always. And this has deterred that 100%. Yeah, I hope that he swims too. It's amazing to me though, when I think about like, that's like the number what you just described with Archie being like, I'm gonna walk around the house with all my shirt on. That's like, (laughs) the number I feel like that's the number one thing that kids look forward to. I'm gonna walk around my own house without my shirt on. And I'm like, (laughs) Dude, just do that now. Like, I know, <laughs> yeah. What's but stopping I, I, you from I doing get it? Because yeah, me too. He I looks get himself it. in the mirror. You know, there's that. that you piece. feel like, the wobble of yeah tissue. Yeah, it's not a <laughs> it's not a pleasant experience. No. <laughs> yeah, would be pretty yeah. dysphoria triggering for sure. Yeah, but there's a lot of kids who are super jazzed about that. That's really common. Yeah. So I want to take us backwards a little bit. Back to insurance. So you went through, I just want to make sure that I've got it all. So you went through an initial, you had to have a referral from your primary care doctor to the endocrinologist. You had to have a referral mm-hmm. from the endocrinologist to the plastic surgeon. Yes. And I had to have letters from you. That's right. You had to have a letter from me to get to the endocrinologist and you had to have a letter, a second letter from me, like a reviewed, renewed letter. Um, yes. And my letters are really m- comprehensive. Yes, don't they write, are. Like a short, Archie should yes. have testosterone. Okay, thanks. Bye. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. And I, there's a, the next episode of the podcast will have uh, more on that process, but, but there was a letter there. There was an updated assessment that had to be done in order to get to the plastic surgeon. All of that then had to be submitted to your insurance company yes. who denied it. Yes. And then you had to then find your mama bear boots and get to work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I had to go kick some butt. 
and I'm actually, it was actually really frustrating that the wall path had those guidelines. And the, the, so you're referring to the World Professional Association of Transgender Healthcare, yes. which is the, for listeners, are the standards of care and guidelines that practitioners use to, to help trans people navigate the medical system. Right. Um, and they're written by mostly medical professionals from all over the world. And they come out with a new version every few years. And so right now we're on version seven and we're awaiting version eight. And it does use that language, age of majority. I've not really seen a bunch of in- too many insurance companies take that to heart. But, you know, insurance companies are really looking for reasons to say no. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's really important with the letters. Like, even, like I'm an experienced letter writer. One of the things that happens sometimes is that letters get denied or they get denied and they say, like, your letter doesn't have everything it needs. And so you had me to be able to write this letter in a way that made sense, but you still had to do extra work on top of that. Yes. Yeah. I'm just thinking about other families who maybe would go to a clinician looking for a letter and might get the Archie just as good to go, go for it letter. And then the denial process that could happen with insurance with that too. Um, And so I just want to point that out too, that your reasoning for the denial was based on the WPATH standard of care. And many people get denied based on the quality of the letter or assessment. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that when you are looking for a provider to write a letter, that you find one that actually knows how to write the right kind of letter. I even have like a file of denials so that when people are like, Oh, I have, I'm just going to pull one Blue Cross Blue Shield. I'm like, cool, I've got a denial letter from them. So I know exactly what they're going to be looking for. (laughs) Um, And so we can go straight through it and make sure that all the language is there. And each insurance company wants something different. So it's important to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's something, you know, you probably have to call and verify with everything that's needed. If if you Mm -hmm. have the advocate, you know, within that insurance company. Um, but I, I've had to do that with other things too. It's like, well, why is this being denied? And explain it to me. And healthcare is not easy to navigate or understand. And so it's just a matter of, yeah, you, you have to be the advocate. You have to make phone calls and until you get your answers that you need. That's the only thing I could think of doing. <laughs> it's the only avenue I had. Yeah. And so from start to finish, and by finish, I mean second approval. So from... Mm-hmm. The referral, let's go referral from Dr. Selva to Dr. Tacker. Mm-hmm. And then, and Dr. Tacker is a plastic surgeon. Um, from the referral point to approval, second approval. Mm-hmm. How long was uh, that? I want to say two to three months um, yeah. because it took, it probably took like six weeks or so to see. Dr. Tacker, and then they submit their stuff. Yeah, I want to say it took like a four to six weeks to probably get the first denial, and then it took another month to get the approval, I would say. So like two to three months. I know I'm fortunate and even privileged with the insurance and the company that I work for with the with the with having the special advocates that I do. Yeah. Um, but it, I was constantly like I had I had a nurse that I talked to from there. I had the advocate that I talked to from there. And so once I had both talked to both of them and let them know, like, this is 
not just because he wants to, this is a mental health thing. They didn't argue with me at that point, you know, because you can't really argue with that. So it's really a matter of the language that you're using, the reasoning behind it. So they can't say, well, that's not a reason. Yeah, it's heartbreaking in so many ways, right? You're, you're right. You do have a ton of privilege. You're a part of a company that's big, you know, yeah. and so they can flex muscle if they need to. Yeah. And fortunately, it aligns with their values to flex muscle if they need to. Exactly. And you have all these extra people and you think about families who maybe are partially insured or underinsured or have Medicaid and those advocates don't exist in those worlds. Yeah. And so having to fight and advocate and try and get your kid what they need um, can feel like a really uphill battle. Yeah. And at that point, it's really just finding the resources that can support you through that. It was interesting because when I had gotten the first denial, I had talked to somebody with, I can't remember the name of the group, but it was it's the Fierce Families. I had talked to somebody with oh, Fierce yeah. Families. And they had mentioned, oh, I know this person and this person that works at Legacy, they can advocate for you. Fortunately, I didn't need that, didn't end up having to need that. But really, it's about talking to people in PFLAG, talking, you know, to your doctors and getting those resources, those people that can open those doors that you didn't know that could be opened. Um, So yeah, you knock on doors until they open, essentially. I think you make a really great point about how just because you can't open the door doesn't mean the door isn't openable. I know for sure that when I call a doctor's office, I get a different answer than somebody else does. I know for sure. I know how to skip lines. I know how to like maneuver through things. And this isn't just in the medical universe either, right? Like this exists all over the place. Absolutely. So if I call a school, a kid can be pushing for something at school. It happened today. A kid was pushing for something at a school and they couldn't get any traction. Parent advocated, no traction. I called. Problem solved. Mm -hmm. Um, And so wouldn't it be so great if people just believed people? I know. But also, don't be afraid to ask for that help. Uh, And I am first one to say that I am very bad at asking for help. But when you're advocating for your kid, you will ask for help for sure. Would you say, Rachel, that you have grown through this process? Oh, my gosh. Leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds. I have grown more in the last three years with not only Archie's journey, but even Caleb's journey, my, my younger son, they have taught me more being teenager, preteen time period than I would ever imagine. But it's also taught me so much about myself too, that I didn't even recognize. Yes. And asking for help has been the hardest thing for me to do. And now I'm more comfortable doing it. That's great. That's great. Kids really are like the gift that keeps on giving when they aren't sucking the life out of you. Um, (laughs) You know, like in those moments where you get to come up for air and you're like, oh, wow, I've really grown a lot and learned a lot. Like I've got one of my kids is super, I'll just say, I mean, he's challenging. And I think he's my greatest teacher, you know? And that's just the way it works. The patient's teacher. Yes. Mm -hmm. The patient's also like, wow, that really pissed me off and I'm not really sure why. Maybe I should dig into that. Um, Yeah. Or, you know, like really (laughs) figuring out where your hot buttons are, why they're there and how to like handle them. And 
things mm-hmm. she didn't even know were going to piss you off, piss you off. <laughs> and letting some of it roll off your back and not piss you off. That's mm-hmm. the biggest. Yes. Great teachers though. Right? Great mm-hmm. teachers. Absolutely. Well, Rachel, is there anything else that you want to share with parents before we sign off either about Archie's journey, your journey in navigating insurance in the medical system? Any final pearls? I, I advocate, I think, is always the big thing for sure. Just keep knocking on doors. And then secondly, just really consider that this is their journey. This is their life. This is their choice. And it's so important that you're the channel and not the container. Well, thanks, Rachel. I always appreciate you coming on and uh, I look forward to when you get to come on again next time. Thank you. I'm so grateful for Rachel for sharing her story of advocacy, empowerment, bravery, and fear with us. It's my hope that Rachel's story will provide you with the awareness and common humanity that it isn't just your kid. It isn't just you that has to wrestle with the bureaucracy to get what you and your family need. Keep pushing, keep calling, keep fighting. I hope that you're taking from our time together today that it is not only okay, but important to push back against what look like doors closing when it comes to accessing medical care. The job of an insurance company is to pay for the things that are medically necessary and trans affirming care is medically necessary care. Pushing back is a headache, but the payoff of seeing your child thrive, if medical intervention is something that they need, will be well worth it. I just want to reiterate that Camp Wildheart is meant to be a community, and if there's anything we can do to support you or your kid, please let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wildheart Society, or you can send us an email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. I've been hearing from more and more of you, and I love everything every single time I hear, oh yeah, I heard your podcast. Oh yeah, this podcast was so helpful. On my hardest days, hearing from you all is what makes me know I'm doing the right thing. Thanks again for joining us for Campfire. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us and we want to make sure that anyone who needs us knows there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart. Heart.